It's 11.30 at KRVN on Friday, the 26th day of February. It's time for Midday. Tyler Cavalli along with you. Thanks for tuning in. We'll hear from Scott Foster, again filling in for Jason, who's on the road with UNK Basketball. We'll get some updates on high school athletics and district finals coming up this weekend in high school boys basketball. Also, we'll hear from uh, Bob Brogan and how stocks are performing. Sounds like a little bit better so far on this Friday. Temperatures warming up nicely, 47 already in Ogallala and Valentine. A lot of us will see 50s before the end of the day. But let's send things out to Susan Littlefield. And Susan, how's your Friday going so far? It's been fun. It's been interesting. And I can't wait for next week's midday because we've got some really cool stories to share with folks of some interviews mm. I've been doing today. Okay, very good. Well, when you're already excited about next week, that's a good thing. I know. And next week's March already. How did that happen? I don't think anybody's complaining about that, uh, especially after the, the, the weather that we had recently, but uh, we'll take it. So. Yeah, no kidding. Well, what do you have well, for us? Well, speaking of weather, I got the opportunity to speak with Al Dutcher. So he and I are going to talk at 1219 about the warmer temperatures that are moving our way. And I know that there is some lowland flooding that is happening just north of me along the Platte River. But he says that is going to subside before the uh, weekend is out. So good news for the folks that live along the Platte River. Then at 1245, he is the 32nd Secretary of Agriculture. Tom Vilsack held a news conference with uh, farm broadcasters yesterday. We'll get some of his thoughts on, on goals and things that he'd like to see happen coming out of the Department of Agriculture. And then it is Friday, which means it's FNBO's Friday Feeders. And it happens to be National FFA Week. So Clay Patton takes the two, marries them together, as we learned about two brothers, Spencer and Parker, about their livestock feeding endeavors. So stick around. More is coming up from us on the midday on a Friday. All right, good stuff. We look forward to it. Thank you very much, Susan. Thank you. All right, let's turn things over to Scott Foster in sports, UNK basketball in uh, Missouri last night. And one team fared well, and the other not so much. Yeah. Well, first of all, Northwest Missouri men kind of good. Yeah, they're, they're a little I don't bit know good. If you've heard. Uh, by the way, they played Duke last year in an exhibition game. Yeah, because they've been so good in winning mm-hmm. national championships. So, just to set the scene. Yikes. Well, anyway, the good news is UNK's uh, number 14 women did get the win. Tight one over Northwest Missouri, 53-50. to But the men did not fare as well as you uh, mentioned. They lost 95-59. to And uh, talking to Jason, they probably could have scored 120 in that wow. game. Wow, they, wow, wow. they jumped out to a huge lead early. This is their eighth straight um, MIAA regular season championship. Wow. That's, listen, it's a powerhouse in the MIAA, Northwest Missouri. They've got great facilities, good coach, and hey, they're, they're the team. That's, that's where the uh, athletes just, go. That's right. That's right. We got district finals and girls tonight over on Cami as Gathamer goes up against a good Lincoln Lutheran team. We'll talk to, hear from Cassie Shue at the head coach of the Swedes. That's coming up. Um, and uh, uh, not a great day in sports nationally, talking about a lot of stuff that went on with the Olympics and things like that. Yeah. But uh, you know what? Uh, Tiger Woods is is doing better, and he's alive. That is good. That's that's. The, I don't even care if he never golfs again. Uh, right. Good for. I'm glad he's alive. The way he competes, can't count that out though. No, so. That's right. All right, very good. Let's turn things over to Bob Brogan. How are stocks doing? They're giving up an early gain and, and turning mostly lower now. And uh, also, Congress is expected to vote on President Joe Biden's stimulus stimulus package, um, minus the uh, wage boost. So. Uh, We'll see how things go on that. All right. All of that and more coming up on Midday here on Friday. Here's Clay Patton. 
Time for regional ag weather update, and it's brought to you by Holdridge Irrigation. Paul Perkins back in the studio with me, and, well, Paul, we're seeing temperatures warm up nicely here on this Friday. Yes, uh, some nice warming, especially as you go to the west where we're seeing a little bit more sunshine. Temperatures in the mid to upper 40s from northwest Kansas on into northeast Colorado and also towards uh, the Ogallala area. Mm-hmm. And a little, little more sunshine as you go to the north. Still some fairly uh, consistent cloud cover from southwest Nebraska, nearby parts of northern Kansas, into around the Lexington and Holdage area to the Tri-Cities and Lincoln and Omaha. But to the north of that, a lot more sunshine and those milder temperatures underneath those clouds from about Lexington and Holdage through the Tri-Cities and Lincoln and Omaha, those temperatures in the mid to upper 30s. Now those pesky clouds, eventually <laughs> I assume they will burn off as we're expected to be in the 50s today. Exactly. Uh, yes, um, very nice weather on the way for today. Above average for this time of year and about the only day we're going to be below average is Sunday. And this is over the next 14 days. Oh, wow. So. The bad stuff of last week, going to be a very distant memory real soon here. All right. I like to hear that. Bringing in great news to end the week then. Very good. Now, uh, not thinking that we're going to get a lot of precipitation either this weekend in particular. One minor system coming up for tomorrow may drop some sprinkles in central areas, maybe some light rain into eastern areas. And then the system that was expected to move through early next week looks to be well to our south. Originally, we are thinking maybe a little bit of moisture with that, but right now that's starting to look doubtful. Okay. All right. We'll, we'll focus on today, and uh, we'll enjoy these warmer temperatures. Yes, the warm-up underway. Maybe some cases of spring fever starting to take hold across the area. Maybe seeing a little bit of light rain this afternoon or early late this morning towards the north central areas of Kansas, towards Norton in the way of some light rain and sprinkles. Otherwise, some partly to mostly cloudy skies across southern Nebraska and northern Kansas. But increasing amounts of sunshine for today will be just ahead of a Pacific cold front, giving us some sunshine and breezy conditions and temperatures that will be about 5 to 10 degrees warmer than average. Near critical fire weather conditions will exist this afternoon if you're along and west of a line from Lexington to Osborne due to some gusty winds and low humidity. We do have some of those winds right now gusting on into the teens. Since this front that will be ushering in Pacific air for tomorrow, our temperatures will once again be about 5 to 10 degrees above normal. Not much of a temperature change from today to tomorrow. Tomorrow afternoon into tomorrow night, weak low pressure will track across northern Kansas. That could yield some sprinkles and flurries in central Nebraska and some light rain and snow in eastern areas of Nebraska and Kansas. Sunday will be our coolest day of the next seven with daytime highs just slightly below average as cool high pressure settles in. And that's as cool as it gets over the next 14 days. Next week will be mostly dry. The main storm track will stay well to our south and temperatures will once again warm back up to about 5 to 10 degrees above average. And it looks to stay mild for an extended time in the long-term forecast above normal temperatures remain likely for Nebraska, Kansas, and the rest of the plains all the way to the east coast for Wednesday through March 11th in central Nebraska for the early 3rd of March. Average daytime highs are in the mid to upper 40s with average overnight lows in the low 20s. Not much precipitation is expected with mainly below normal precipitation in the forecast for Wednesday through March 11th for Nebraska, Kansas, and much of the central U.S. Key weather factors in the markets include chances for very little rain in Argentina in the next 10 days, and the continuation of moderate to heavy rain for central Brazil. The next five days, multiple rounds of rain across the southern U.S. could lead to totals of 2 to 5 inches from eastern Texas to the central and southern Appalachians. Heavy rain could extend as far north as the Ohio River. 
Much of the western U.S. will remain dry where extreme to exceptional drought covers more than half of Utah, Arizona, New Mexico, Nevada, and Colorado. And once again, that's the highest stages of drought in drought areas of the western southern plains. Drought continues to build and the forecast is trending drier for the next week as systems just aren't coming together. For central Brazil, heavy rain expected the next 7 to 10 days, which will keep soybean harvest and second crop corn planting delayed. Southern Brazil will see a brief shot of rain five days out from now, but that will not change their drier weather. Argentina's primary crop areas are going to be mostly dry the next 10 days, a continuing concern for filling corn and soybeans. Some rain may develop in western Argentina next week, but the overall outlook is dry. How about these winds? Are, are we expecting nasty wind gusts here today and this weekend? There is the potential today, some gusts up to about 30, but overall nothing too major, but in those drier areas, that could lead to some higher fire concerns. Sure. Okay. And that's something we'll definitely keep mm-hmm. an eye on. All right. For a full uh, weekend of forecasts, where can somebody find that at? Weather page, krvn.com. Right, thank you. Warm weather is bringing some lowland flooding along the Platte River. Good afternoon. I'm Susan Littlefield on the Rural Radio Network. It is a Friday, so we are catching up with Al Dutcher as he talks the warmer temperatures that are moving in this weekend and beyond. Well, Susan, we are going to see a a small break from at least this warmer temperatures. Today is going to be a fairly decent day across the state. There's no ifs or buts about it. It'll be cooler out west where some of that cooler air behind the wheat trough that's moving across the state has already occurred. We'll be looking at more lower 40s in the panhandle. But in the eastern part of the state, ahead of that trough, we're going to get a southwest wind. And they're going to be pretty strong until that trough passes through during the afternoon. And then we'll see wind switching to the west. So with temperatures expected to be in the mid-40s up in the northeast to around the upper 40s to the 50-degree mark in the extreme southern portion of the state, we're going to see with that wind a lot of melting occur today. And we've been really fortunate. The snowpack has disappeared rather fairly quickly over the last week, but it's been efficient in the fact that we've been getting good freezing temperatures at night and have slowed down that melt. And, of course, where the snowpack was the heaviest from the leftovers from the January storm before all the February snow came here, really not much in the way of any frost depth. So the infiltration of that's been perfect. We're not seeing a lot of runoff from it. The biggest issue is the runoff that's going to occur in the Platte route of shift from Columbus down to down to essentially Ashland. If you look north of that Platte River, that's where the freezing soils are the strongest, and that's where we'll probably see the biggest runoff component. But the good news is with 50s today, cooling down tomorrow as we have another trough coming in tomorrow night, light chance of precipitation. Then we'll see it clearing off as going to Sunday. We'll still remain cool. And then we start to see the big ridge building in and we'll be back into the 50s statewide as we go from Monday all the way, probably till Thursday, which means that, of course, the grasses are going to start to dry out in those areas that have already lost snow cover. And we're going to start to see some fire dangers probably go up with those drier air. But the most of the snowpack should be gone by the end of next week. And I think our flood issues along the plat will probably be subsided by then. At that point, the storm that was originally forecasted to come in this week, a piece of that energy from this trough is going to move through over the uh, Saturday afternoon through Sunday morning period. Lost Some of that energy was left off the West Coast, and that's going to slowly drift through the desert southwest. And the GFS model is the most aggressive model. is bringing a piece of that 
upper air low into the central plains that we get the end of next week. And that spreads some widespread precipitation across the eastern half of the state. Now, it's more aggressive than the Euro model, so we'll wait to see what happens. But that upper air low hanging around the southwest at some point will make its way eastward and get uh, lifted into at least the southern or central plains. And we'll have to pay attention, as you know, this time of the year, things can change rather rapidly, particularly if we can catch some cold air from the north. All of a sudden, we've got a major mess on our hands. But for the meantime, it's, t- it's calving season, perfect weather for calving season. We're not going to have no f- cold issues, no wet, snowy, long-lived events, nothing to worry about, at least over the next seven days. If we're going to have anything to worry about, it's going to be late next weekend into the following week before we have to worry, really have to worry about any significant moisture, at least within the region of the Central Plains. The drought monitor came out yesterday. Not a beautiful picture by any means. We didn't expect to see a lot of recovery in the drought monitor during the winter. It's the driest time of the year. We're, it's really is going to count now as we go forward in time. And the biggest thing that I've seen is that we're starting to see a relaxation of all the cold Arctic air in the east, which has been dominant during the month of February. We're starting to see more troughing action in the west. Those comments coming from Al Dutcher. I'm Susan Littlefield on the Rural Radio Network. It's time for Midday Sports. Scott Foster sitting in for Jason Jorgensen, who is on the road in Missouri with uh, UNK Basketball. They'll be playing tomorrow. And uh, what is their final regular season road trip? And, well, uh, we're talking about uh, UNK Basketball to start off today yeah we'll just jump right into it how about that good segue by the way i know it senior guard kelsey sanger scored 10 points and sophomore reserve trinity law was big in the fourth quarter to help number 14 nebraska carney hold off northwest missouri state 53 to 50 thursday night in maryville the lopers improved to 18 and 3 and moved to 9 and 1 on the road and sweep the series with the bearcats who are now 8 and 13 the win also puts a dent in Northwest's postseason hopes. UNK heads to Missouri State, Missouri Western State, excuse me, 6 and 15 on Saturday afternoon. The Griffins play a game for the second straight night, battled but lost to number five Fort Hayes State 77 69 on Thursday. Now, for the men, the top-ranked and defending national champion Northwest Missouri State Bearcats hit 10 of its first 12 shots and never looked back en route to a 95-59 win over Nebraska Kearney's men Thursday night in Maryville. Northwest is 20-1. They are now 151-7 since the start of the 2016-17 season. That's pretty good, right? That's good. Okay. That's, uh, that's, that's clarifying. That's very, very good. The Bearcats won NCAA Division II national titles in 17 and 19 and are among the 2020 favorites before the national tourney was canceled last March due to the pandemic. UNK heads to Missouri Western State on Saturday evening. The Griffins are 12 and 9, and uh, we're off tonight before defeating uh, Fort Hayes State on Tuesday in Kansas. Girls District Finals are tonight, and that means teams are one game away from the state tournament. The Gothenburg Swedes will travel to Aurora, where they will take on the number three team in the state, the Lincoln Lutheran Warriors. First-year head coach Cassie Shewitt talked about taking on that big front court of Lincoln Lutheran. They, they, they are a tall group, but, you know, that's something that isn't going to hurt us necessarily because that's something that we've had to deal with all year. We don't have a lot of height, 
so we've done a good job of being able to adjust and know what we have to do when we do play teams with higher, uh, taller girls. For instance, Chase County, you know, they had a couple of really tall girls and we had to adjust. So I don't, I don't look for the length being, or I don't look for the height being a problem against us, but um, overall I think that what it comes down to is we're just going to have to play our game and we're going to have to use a lot of ball fakes and a lot of shot fakes similar to what we did against Chase County. Tall task for sure. This is a very, very good Lincoln Lutheran team who has played incredible defense. And so it'll be a tall task for sure for this young Gothenburg team. The game starts at 7.30. You can hear the pregame at 7.20 on Cami and on KRVN.com. Last night in boys' sub-districts, Kearney Catholic's boys looked very good as they got a win over Kozad and moved to 22-2. and Game you had, uh, you had a good one there. Southern Valley and Elm mm-hmm. Creek, and the good news is... Both teams move on. And it was a chance. We did talk about that during the game last night, that uh, there was a, a chance that both teams, because they were high enough in point standings, would make it win or lose. Southern Valley was able to come away with a 16-point win as they will try to get back to the uh, state tournament and also get back to the state championship game after being runner-up. And then Elm Creek did advance as well as a wild card, so they are into a district final against Walt Hill tomorrow, and Southern Valley will play BDS on Monday night. Well, one thing we learned last year is you don't sleep on the Eagles. They uh, they know how to play postseason ball. That's right. All right. Thank you very much. Thank you. Time for midday news here on this Friday. Dave Schroeder has now stepped in. And well, Dave, are you a are you a wino? Uh, <laughs> I don't know about that. But I do enjoy Nebraska wines. That's for sure. Now, if you do like Nebraska wines, do you like it dry? Do you like it sweet, semi sweet? What, what do you what do you prefer? You know, I don't have any preference at all, really. I do like dry wines. I know oh, a lot yeah. of people like mm-hmm. the semi sweet and so forth, but I do like uh, all even the dry wines. I do drier the better for me if it can ah. uh, dry out the palate mm-mm, delicious really? stuff but yep. uh, the reason we bring it up is because there's some more opportunities for winos to try some <laughs> nebraska wine absolutely well the old depot vineyard and winery in brady had a soft opening in may of last year but many local people have seen their wine on the shelves in stores of brady and gothenburg and arnold the last couple of months Nicole Miller, uh, one of the four owners of the Old Depot Vineyard and Winery, says that their signature wine, L.J. Morton, is named after a station master who worked at the train depot that was located in Gothenburg and is now the winery south of Brady. When we were in the middle of doing some of the construction on the inside, of we had our contractor tear out one of the walls just to put some elect- new electrical lines through, and he found a ledger. And in that ledger, it had train logs from like the 1902 through the 1908 time period. Well, Miller said on the ledger they found L.J. Morton's signature on all of the pages. The winery has other types of wine, including a sweet red, a dry red, a sweet white, and a specialty wine called Railcar Rhubarb. Miller says they hope to have up to four more new wines by the end of this year. You know, Dave, what yeah. I really like about these wineries and breweries in Nebraska, and I know it's not just here in the state, but really tying right. into the local history or what's happening yes. or uh, the previous history or what's around them at that point. And uh, th- that's really cool that they're doing stuff like that. Absolutely. The wine uh, tells a little bit more of the story. That's, that's for right. sure. Absolutely. Well, President Joe Biden has charged top White House officials with ensuring that communities living in the shadows of the nation's power plants, highways, and refineries receive at least 40% of benefits from new investments in clean energy, 
public transit, affordable housing, and pollution controls. Michelle Roberts with the Environmental Justice Health Alliance for Chemical Policy Reform says redefined neighborhoods in Nebraska and across the U.S. should be at the front of the line. We need to prioritize those communities in such a way that we provide remedy and redress and make these communities whole. Roberts also says it's important for communities of color to have a say in where investments are made. We must make sure that those who have been impacted the most, our communities must be consulted early, often, and always. Well, former President Donald Trump has endorsed Kansas Senator Jerry Moran for re-election in 2022. Trump's early backing that makes it unlikely the two-term Republican will face a serious challenge in the GOP primary. And that's a check of the latest in news. I'm Dave Schroeder on the Rural Radio Network. After being confirmed as the 32nd Secretary of Agriculture, Tom Vilsack spent some time with media on Thursday talking priorities. Good afternoon. I'm Susan Littlefield on the Rural Radio Network. He first hit off on some of the top priorities of the Biden administration. I'm to say that the country's priority and certainly President Biden's priority is containing uh, the pandemic and following that, building back our economy better. And the virus has probably hit all of us in one form or another, but it has hit rural America in a very specific and hard way. Rural residents are more vulnerable uh, to serious infection and death. Uh, uh, the infection rates are higher uh, in rural America, according to the uh, Rural Policy Research Institute's report, uh, suggested that the infection rate was roughly 13 percent, between 13 and 14 percent higher in rural areas than in urban centers. And there are a number of factors involved with that. Uh, there's a lack of health insurance, uh, higher levels of uninsured populations in rural places, and a lack of access to facilities. And that's why it's incredibly important uh, for the Department of Agriculture that is focused on rural development and rural life to do what it can uh, to expand access to healthcare uh, facilities and healthcare uh, generally. And one of those programs has to deal with telemedicine and distance learning. The secretary explains. Which provides grants to communities uh, and to healthcare centers and schools across the country and rural places uh, to expand access to uh, telemedicine opportunities. And today uh, we're announcing $42 million in grants under that program. $24 million of that resource, of that $42 million, uh, is coming from the CARES Act funding. Um, we will be providing resources and assistance to all regions of the country. Uh, 38 states and territories are involved in this announcement. Uh, 86 different projects uh, that impact, in effect, potentially 5 million rural residents. Uh, this is an important program, and it provides resources for uh, community health centers, for uh, universities and colleges that have a, a medical school, uh, school districts to basically expand opportunities for uh, uh, health care uh, in rural places. Uh, incredibly important program and one that uh, will continue, obviously, to support. Uh, in addition, the administration understanding and appreciating the high level of uninsured 
uh, in rural places uh, continues to uh, promote the Affordable Care Act and to do so has uh, announced an extension or a special enrollment period for those who are uninsured, uh, those who may have lost a job because of uh, the economy uh, due to the virus or any other factors. Uh, that enrollment period has now been extended uh, to May 15th. Uh, and folks who are interested in taking a look at what might be available under the Affordable Care Act uh, for themselves and their families can go on uh, the website at healthcare.gov uh, where they will receive information concerning uh, possible health care plans that they can sign up for that are uh, either free or, or, or subsidized by the government. Uh, USDA obviously is engaged uh, in not only providing financial resources to extend uh, health care opportunities to rural folks, but we're also engaged in, in a number of different ways in this fight to uh, contain get uh, on the other side of the pandemic. Uh, we've recently announced uh, an extension of, uh, of the pandemic EBT, an increase in the benefit, uh, to provide assistance in, uh, for uh, for children who are uh, finding themselves not in school because of the virus and their parents uh, now being forced to uh, feed uh, children uh, the school breakfast and the school lunch that would otherwise have been provided at school. Uh, and the secretary has been pleased with how the program has been running. They're actually looking to expand. Twelve additional state applications are being looked at. Uh, we've uh, announced emergency allotments under the SNAP program exceeding $2 billion that has impacted SNAP recipients in 47 states. Uh, recently announced, uh, pursuant to direction from the president, uh, a foreclosure moratorium, uh, basically suspending debt collection activities on farm loans. Uh, and we've also not only provided financial assistance and direction and, uh, and help, but we've also uh, looked at ways in which we could help the vaccination effort. Uh, roughly 350 employees of USDA are engaged in a variety of activities uh, to promote uh, vaccinations and make them easier. Uh, we have veterinarians who are administering vaccinations in a number of states that authorize that. Uh, we have a number of Forest Service personnel who are, who are experts in, in incident control, uh, working uh, to create uh, opportunities for uh, significant uh, vaccination and testing. And we've offered up uh, uh, some of our USDA facilities that could potentially be used to store uh, vaccines because we have the uh, super cool refrigerators uh, that are necessary or potentially uh, utilizing USDA sites for additional testing. And he said amongst all the programs, there's still a lot of work to do through the USDA, but he's glad to be back. Um, in addition to uh, the pandemic relief, we look forward to um, uh, whatever uh, role and responsibilities we will have under the American Rescue Act, uh, which is currently being considered by Congress uh, to provide additional COVID relief. Uh, we're looking forward to uh, working on nutrition security issues. Those comments with Ag Secretary Tom Vilsack. I'm Susan Littlefield on the World Radio Network. The Commodity Classic and Phelps Memorial Health Center and Phelps Medical Group are bringing you a one-hour program about farm stress and rural mental health Monday, March 1st at 6 p.m. on 880 KRVN. Midwest farmers will share their own struggles with depression, and rural health practitioners will offer their advice and ways to manage stress. If you're looking for a local advocate to discuss your emotional, psychological, or social well-being, Phelps Memorial Health Center and Phelps Medical Group experts are there for you. Tune in Monday, March 1st at 6 p.m. to 880 KRVN for the Commodity Classic's Farm Stress and Rural Mental Health program. 
with the business report. For Friday, I'm Bob Brogan. Stocks have given up an early gain and turned mostly lower in trading on Wall Street. Banks and energy companies led the way lower, while technology companies, which had been beaten down in recent days, started to recover. The S&P 500 fell nine-tenths of a percent. Investors continue to watch the bond market, where Treasury yields were declining, as well as Washington, where Congress is expected to vote on President Joe Biden's stimulus package. Bond yields were easing off their multi-week climb, which was helping out the stock market. The yield on the 10-year U.S. Treasury note fell to 1.49%. America's consumers stepped up their spending by a solid 2.4% in January and a sign that the economy may be making a tentative recovery from the pandemic recession. Today's report from the Commerce Department also shows that personal incomes, which provide the fuel for spending, jumped 10% last month, boosted by cash payments most Americans received from the government. The January spending increase followed two straight monthly spending drops that had raised concerns that consumers, who power most of the economy, were hunkered down, too anxious to travel, shop, and spend. Volkswagen made 8.8 billion euros, or $10.7 billion last year despite the pandemic. The results were better than expected, but the German automaker says earnings and sales were still down from the year before, in 2019. Cooper Tire and Rubber Company is recalling more than 430,000 light truck tires in the U.S. due to sidewall bulges that could cause tire failure. The recall covers certain Discover, Evolution, Courser, Deegan, Adventurer, Hercules, Backcountry, Multimile, Wild Country, and Big O Tires in several sizes. For the Rural Radio Network, I'm Bob Brogan. A lot has changed in the 70 years KRVN has been on the air, but one thing hasn't, the dedication to our listeners. KRVN has been busting through blizzards since our first day on the air in 1951, and this year is no different. This year, KRVN, The River, and Cami are giving you the opportunity to win a blizzard-busting Polaris 450 EPS. This ATV is brand new with front and back racks, and we're adding a go light with remote control. It's a complete package for bad weather and good. Blizzard Buster is sponsored in part by Hayden Outdoors. Farm, ranch, and recreational real estate. Pony Express Chevrolet Buick, Gothenburg. Pony Express Ford, Minden. Heartland Chevrolet Buick, Lexington. And Platte Valley Auto, Lexington and Kearney. From busting through snowdrifts during calving to riding the river in the fall looking for that perfect buck. The Polaris is a workhorse that is also loaded for fun. Register at Nebraska Land Tire Centers in Lexington, Holdridge, McCook, and North Platte, and Nebraska Land Truck Center, I-80, Lexington. Cozad Auto Supply, Cozad, and Plum Creek Marketplace, Lexington. Welcome to Friday Feeders on the Rural Radio Network, brought to you by FNBO, the great big small bank. I'm excited to host this week's episode of Friday Feeders because it falls during National FFA Week. That means I get to talk to two outstanding brothers, one already in FFA, one soon to be in FFA, about their early careers in feeding livestock. The two young men I'm talking about are the Wallahoski brothers who work within their family's farm and ranch near Overton, Nebraska. Spencer, I want to start with you. Kind of give us an overview you're involved with ffa so give us an overview of your sae and involvement with livestock so my sae is a cooperation with tmb farms just outside of sumner in sheep production so i feed out bred ewes and lamb them out and then me and todd iba from tmb farms split half of the lamb sale profits and over time todd is trying to decrease his herd 
as he's getting older. So I'm trying to take it over and potentially build my own herd. That again, Spencer Wallahoski. Let's now talk to his brother, Parker Wallahoski. And Parker in eighth grade, so not quite to FFA, but still very active in 4-H. So tell us more about your livestock projects that you've been involved with. We've been very involved in 4-H for about seven or eight years now. And we've showed sheep and cattle. Right now, I have a steer. He weighs about 850 pounds. And we're taking him to a show this weekend at the Cattleman's Classic. We've been feeding him out. And on the sheep side, it's the same thing for them. Right now, the lambs are still growing, so we haven't gotten to pick those yet. When we do, we'll feed them out, and then we'll show them at the state fair in September. Often in this program, we talk about commercial cattle feeders. And Spencer, one of the great opportunities you've recently had over the last couple of years is to participate in the Fed Steer Challenge through Nebraska State Fair. So through four plus feeders, we picked through a pool of cattle. And we took those cattle individually and fed them out throughout the year and then exhibited them at the Nebraska State Fair. After the State Fair, they were harvested and we got to see the carcass data on them. And then after all that, in December, we went to the Cattlemen's Convention and had an interview process through there. So it was a great way to expand my public speaking skills. And overall, the project just helped me through uh, the business side of financially. I was able to grow my knowledge and finances and it was just overall just a really great project and i wanted to thank the whole crew from the fed steer challenge including brian Ryling and the unl team for putting on such a great contest spencer now that you've participated in the fed steer challenge as well have your own sae sheep production project what would you say are some of the major challenges or obstacles that you've had to overcome especially when it comes to feeding out on the market side so as far as feeding sheep goes the number one thing that I have learned is that it is a very big challenge to try and get those lambs from birth to the creep feeder. That is probably where the early mortality rate comes from. As soon as you get them on creep feed, it becomes a struggle to be able to find the right creep feed and the right diet that they need, as well as sheep love to pick through their feed, so it, you need a more complete feed to get them to eat exactly what you want in their diet. Parker, will direct our last on-air question to you, and the fact that you've been able to show, you know, at the county level, the state fair level, you've attended national shows, you're a part of 4-H, soon-to-be FFA, what, are you, what is your takeaway? What does the general public need to know about livestock production? We're always trying to do our best to take care of the animals, and Every time we go out and feed them, we're working in to get a quality product on your plate. That again, brothers Spencer and Parker Wallahoski. We appreciate them for joining us on this episode of Friday Feeders. We have a lot more discussion. Unfortunately, we don't have enough time here, so check out the story and the podcast at RuralRadio.com. on the World Radio Network as we check in on the closing grain trade with Daniel Zag Marketing and their senior trader there, John Payne. And John, an interesting close coming here into the end of the week, but we see grains end well off of their low where we see those May contracts now closer to the front month as March goes into delivery, you know, ending 15, 20 cents off of their lows, especially in the bean market. So as we come into it, maybe just a liquidation phase that we're seeing in the market here at the end of the month. I, you know, I have to figure that. I'm, I'm trying to kind of figure out the story here. And obviously the rates going up doesn't really mean a lot for ag in the short run. You know, I mean, they're, they're, in my opinion, there's no place for a cash crunch, crunch right now, just given the year folks had in, on the receipt side. And, um, you know, this is the time where folks want to sell bushels and uh, they have the time to do it. They're not going to have the time to deliver here in three or four weeks. So uh, it makes sense. I think if, uh, you know, 
we've probably come a long way in the commodity trade, and that was pretty um, pretty evident by looking at markets like cotton that really came off their their highs. But I don't think the story's changed at all, and, and uh, just kind of uh, gives an opportunity for those who want to get long to get in. I think this market will give you the opportunity, and it's these opportunities where you're down two percent, three percent, that could be you know your your chance to do it. Uh, I don't think you're going to see that subcontract below 12 again, and I don't know if you'll see no below 12 again, at least until we figure out what's coming out of the ground. Um, you know, the export sales are what they are, but that's priced in at this point. You know, it was not too long ago we talked that you had kind of the the uh, producer had quit looking so much at hedges, but it was the end user that was really now having to focus on when to be buying. Are you seeing the end users wanting to start getting active after days like today? Yeah, they all say it. <laughs> when it falls, they don't do anything. Typically, the MO for the buy side, they don't want. They always want to buy cheaper. And I think uh, at this point in time, you know, they need to do what the farmers should have done the last few years, and that's arrange this ahead of time. Because I think, like we're seeing in the delivery here, strong price action. Uh, that'll be a theme that we uh, we kind of have the behind our sales here, at least through the summer. I mean, if the U.S. doesn't 185 yield on on record acres, you know, we can solve this. But that's what's going to take at this point. We're talking with John Payne, Senior Marketing Analyst. John, right before we let you go, U.S. dollar still range-bound. Do you expect it to try and make any of a run-up towards its high? I do. I've been long. I mean, I, I've been thinking that you don't really want to own any fiat currency at this point. I like the emerging markets, but we haven't seen that move yet. So I've been wrong up till this point. I'd imagine, uh, you know, we need to get the stimulus passed first. And I don't know if that's going through or not. That's John Payne, Senior Marketing Analyst, Daniel Zag Marketing in Chicago. You can catch in on his daily newsletter this week in grain when you visit danielsagmarketing.com. That's danielsagmarketing.com. Do remember, though, trading futures and options involve risk of loss may not be suitable for all investors. Do consider these risks before investing. If you want to catch up with John or hear this podcast once again, check out the Daily Market Commentary. That's under the Live Market Snapshot at RuralRadio.com. All right, thank you very much, Clay. That'll wrap up this Friday edition of Midday. You can listen to the Midday Podcast from today and the entire week. Sponsored by Devenny Motors, wherever podcasts are available, or krvn.com.